also to the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. The text for this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 to 18. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11 through 18. I'll begin reading from chapter 9, verse 1, for context. This also is God's holy word. But all this I lay to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in this life and in which your toil uh, and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in shoal to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with a few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say... That wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. May we go to our God in prayer and seek for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. 
Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy to us. We thank you, Father, that your word is truth, that your word is clear. And Father, we pray, acknowledging that our times are in your hands, that you are the one who makes all things beautiful in their proper time. Father, we, we don't know would not we'll live another 50 years or we'll live but another day. Father, we pray that we would not be concerned about these things, but rather that we would be faithful to you, trustworthy with what you have given us, that we might acknowledge the secret things uh, belong to you, but the things that you have revealed, that we should cherish them and that we should teach them to our children, that we should hide them in our hearts. Father, we pray that we might long for Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that if any of our here who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, even among our children, that they would repent and believe upon Jesus Christ for eternal life. And Father, we pray that your, ser- your, your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. When I think about this verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 9, I, I think about this famous race. It was 1984, it's, it's not the book, it's the year, 1984, uh, Los Angeles, California, the, the Olympic Games. It was Mary Decker, uh, who is now Mary Decker Slaney, or Mary, Mary Slaney, that she was, uh, she was the American favorite. It was the final, the final, uh, what is it called, the final heat, or the final race uh, of those who ran in the 3,000 meter race. And she was favored to win gold. That she was a child prodigy in, in running. At the age of 12, she finished a marathon uh, in a, a little over three hours. And uh, the record was that before that marathon, which is 26, 26.2 miles, that she had not run a longer distance than 12 miles. So child prodigy. And she was favored to, to race, or favored to win. And there was this one gal from South Africa, and South Africa was being, um, was being boycotted because of apartheid, the, the rules that they had. So because of her grandfather, this Zola Bud was able to run under the British or, or the English flag. And she was 18 years old, and she ran barefoot. She was the only barefoot runner. And during about half the race through, uh, Zola Bud was attempting to pass uh, Mary Decker. And, uh, and then, then the rest of that is history. Something happened, right? And, and most people can kind of say, you can't blame Zola Bud. She was passing Mary Decker, and she got kicked from the back. So Mary's, Mary Spike, in, in fact, scraped the back of her calf or something, and that caused Mary to fall, and she didn't complete that race. And there we have someone who is favored to win. Uh, you look at her life afterwards. Uh, she, she fell out of favor because of the things that she said publicly. Uh, and it was rather sad. Yeah. She, she um, had 30 surgeries uh, because of this compartment syndrome she had in her legs because she insisted on running and racing. It, it was difficult for her to say, you know what, your racing days are over. And this, this is what the Lord had for you. That you, you had your spot of glory, your, your spot of victory, and it's done. And it's easy for us to say that looking back. But how often is it that 
In our own lives, we can look back and say for a certain period, this is what the Lord had planned for us, that he opened the door and he closed the door. Whether it be in a, a relationship, whether it be a friendship, you've done the best that you could, but the friendship has ended. Whether it be a marriage, that you've, you've cared for uh, the spouse and the Lord has chosen to take the spouse. Uh, whether it be a job that came to an end, a, a boss that chose to leave, whatever, whatever it is. Understanding that God has certain timings in life. And his great blessings are manifest, and at times he takes those blessings away. What we think are blessings. And we realize how little control we have in this life. How little control we have. And that you and I must have that humility to be able to accept and understand that we are not the captain of our fate and the master of our destiny. That each day we take by his grace. So even as we look at this chapter, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, that we see that there are many things that come up in this chapter. And it requires wisdom. That he starts in, in the beginning of chapter 9, that the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. And then he talks about death. That the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. And he says, what's the justice of that? And he's, he's irked by it. Not realizing that death means different things for the righteous and for the wicked. It means the beginning of eternal judgment for the wicked. But for the righteous, that there's not the feeling, there shouldn't be the feeling of angst upon us. Because for the righteous who are trusting in Jesus Christ, that death is the beginning of blessed eternity. The beginning of perfect union with Jesus Christ. And here he continues in this passage, uh, basically two sections here, verses 11 and 12, one section, and, and then 13 to 18, where he talks about God's control over all matters and that man not being in, in control. And then the second section, this parable, this parable about the poor wise man and his conclusions about wisdom. So the truth that we see in this passage Wisdom recognizes its powerlessness to guarantee outcomes, its value to deliver from danger, and its elusiveness among men. Wisdom recognizes its powerlessness to guarantee outcomes, its value to deliver from danger, and its elusiveness among men. We'll look at this in two points. The first is the humility of wisdom in verses 11 through 12, and then second, the treasure of wisdom in verses 13 to 18. So the first point, the humility of wisdom. We have that in verses 11 and 12. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to, all, to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Here we talked about how the chapter 9, love and hate, what, uh, what awaits man? And the author, Kohelet, uh, is saying that we don't know. But we have in the completion of God's word in the canon, 
The understanding that God is one who makes exceedingly great promises to us. We know what is coming for us because of his covenant promises. It's only because of God's promise, only because of his special revelation that we know what's coming. And that's, that's good in Jesus Christ. The same event, which is death, happens to all, and the righteous to the wicked alike. Uh, but death has different meanings to them. The righteous see death as the beginning of heaven and eternity, when the wicked see death as the beginning of their eternal suffering. Here in verse 11, the humble, uh, the humble are those who recognize wisdom's inability to control or guarantee outcomes. That there aren't guarantees in life. Uh, maybe the saying goes that the only guarantees are death and taxes, right? You're going to have to pay taxes. And I know some people who have evaded taxes, but it won't be for long. The government will eventually find out. And then there's death, right? We're all going to die. And I hope you understand, I'm not saying that in any morbid way or any flippant way. Uh, I don't think I'm telling you something you don't know. Right, the scriptures have made that very clear. And if you've opened your eyes and you've seen that people around you eventually die. Typically the older ones first. Here the author Kohelet gives five examples. We don't need to address all of them in detail. <clears throat> we talked about uh, the race not being to the swift. That uh, we had the story about Mary Decker. She didn't win, she fell. Uh, Zola Budd didn't win that race either. In fact, I, I don't remember her name. Uh, Zola Budd came in, came in seventh. Uh, there was some other person who apparently no one remembers. That they're still interviewing Zola Budd and Mary Decker. If you think about the the means or the the reasons why the race is not to the swift, even little children can remember and understand and cite the story about the tortoise and the hare. Uh, some, some children remember it differently. It's the, uh, the turtle and the bunny. Well, whatever's the case, the story is the same. The story is the same there. The tortoise and the hare. And why, why was it that the, that the hare lost? Well, the hare lost because of his laziness, because of his presumption, because of his overconfidence. And then you have the, the tortoise, one, because of his perseverance or because of his uh, persistence, because of his consistency. And oftentimes, it's the one person who's consistent who wins. When you think about the, the race that is set before us, if we try to think about, well, uh, my spiritual life makes its gains by, by these special events, right? Uh, whatever those events might be, we go to a retreat or, or you know, we have uh, this revival meeting or whatever the case. Uh, if you think about life that way, well, then, then you're always looking for the next special event. But rather, if you think about the example of the tortoise, that his consistency, her consistency and growth had to do with the common things. The, well, let's not snooze that alarm. Let's get up. Let's go to prayer before God. Let's spend time before work that we might read God's word, meditate upon it for the day. That those consistent things, the regular attendance, faithful attendance uh, of worship before God and with his people, that that's the consistency that wins the race. We have also the battle <coughs> not being to the strong. Uh, 
perhaps a, a story from God's word comes up. Children, you would all know this one. David defeats Goliath. <clears throat> and there was wisdom in, in that story. There was wisdom in David. <clears throat> Notice that David doesn't go to Goliath and say to him, Okay, tell you what. Why don't you lay down your weapons, your sword, and your spear, and your, and your shield, and I'm going to lay down my sling and my stone, and we're going we're gonna to do this wrestling match, barehanded, uh, no-holds-barred wrestling match, uh, mano to mano. He doesn't say that. This would be foolish for him to do that. Instead, he says, I, I have, I have a, a technological advantage. I have a weapon advantage, and I'll use it uh, in my favor. And it was God who caused this stone to strike Goliath's head and sink into his head. You have a stronger man. It was obviously Goliath. He was a fighting man from his youth. And David was but a youth. And God is the one who controls that event. I think also to 1989. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going totally 80s here. But 1989, French, French Open. There was an underdog. Michael Chang, a 17-year-old American. And here he was in the, the finals of the French Open. And he was taking on the number one seeded Ivan Lendl. Uh, I think back then they would call it Czechoslovakian, but I think he's probably just called Czech now. And here Michael Chang had all kinds of problems with uh, muscle cramping and spasms. And at one point, he, he stopped using his overhead, overhanded serve, or overheaded serve. He had to use an underhanded serve because he was in so much pain. And uh, he lost, was, there's, was it three? If, if you lose three sets, you're done. He lost the first two. So it looked pretty bad for him. And after several hours, he eventually won. And the battle then is not to the strong. There was an obvious person who was better. It was Yvonne Lendl. And the bread is not to the wise, or riches not to the intelligent, or favor not to those with knowledge. What we can gather from all of these examples is that the Lord Jesus is addressing the matter of, of an attitude, of a mindset that's concerning. It addresses the matter of pride. Elder Wayne read earlier from James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Perhaps you can think about it as a billiard or a pool game, where part of the game, you have to tell, you have to name and state what you plan to do. That six ball corner pocket. So that when that ball goes into a, a hole, that it's not an accident. That you happen to, quote unquote, get lucky and the ball bounced a few times and went into the side pocket. And it's as if people in life think that life works the same way. I'm just going to name it and claim. I'm going to state these things and this is, this is what I'm going to bring about by my power. 
And it's as if God understands that. In, in the book of Isaiah, he says to, says to Israel, show to us that you are God's. Prophecy and carry it out. Do something great so that we might cower. Because here he's saying, what gods do is they prophesy and they make things happen. And that in pride is as if we think we can prophesy and make it happen. And here the word is saying <clears throat> that the race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. No matter how skilled of a fighter you are or how fast of a racer, there will always be someone who is better. There's also the glare of the sun, the slick ground, a dud round. However you look at it. And they're all part of God's plan. That man in his pride assumes that his, his, his ability, his capabilities, his uh, knowledge, uh, his personality can guarantee him results. And sooner or later you come to the realization that there are so many things that are just out of your control. Think about how for those who are good at making money, who have business savvy, what has the last year or two brought? Think about people who are uh, good at starting restaurant businesses. Well, it seems like it was a particularly bad season to be starting a, a restaurant business. Those things are out of our hands. So besides pride, or the Lord himself addresses as it is, you boast in your arrogance. Besides pride, there's matters of presumption. Luke chapter 12. Here, the example, the parable that Jesus gives is of a rich man who, who as a farmer has all kinds of produce, all kinds of crops. For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then God interrupts this man. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Nobody knows when God will say your soul is required of you. He doesn't give us a warning uh, that you look at Hezekiah, that this is not the typical story where he's told he's going to die. He laments, he asks, he prays and asks for more time. God gives him 15 years. This is, this is unusual. The rest of us, we don't know. And this idea of presumption. Do not, do not attempt to put God on some kind of timeline. He doesn't like that. He doesn't favor it. That when you try to put him into a box, God, you will do this, this, and this in this time frame. No, he doesn't, he doesn't like that at all. He, he's the one who breaks out of boxes. We make timelines. We have our own plans. God is the one who, by his, his wisdom, by his power, he thwarts those plans. That he is not subject to man's plans. We are always subject to his plans. And the sooner you and I learn this, the sooner we will, we will find joy and satisfaction in life. The, the hand that you're dealt, the cards that you're dealt, are controlled by God. <clears throat> you think about this, this mention in verse 11. 
But time and chance happen to them all. Kohelet here, the author, is not claiming that such a thing as chance or a freak occurrence outside of God's control, that that there is such a thing. No, it's just that man cannot control or guarantee outcomes. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Uh, What are these lots? Are they sticks? Uh, Whatever it is, uh, in our culture we understand dice, or the the singular die. So these cubes with numbers on them, you roll them, and if anything, we... We think that flipping of a coin or a rolling of a die, that those are random. But the scriptures tell us that even those things, God controls every detail of our lives. Even the very thing that men consider chance, God says he controls it. No one is captain of their own fate and master of their own destiny. In verse 12, we have the humble acceptance that man cannot control the time of their death or downfall. For man does not know his time. You think about the examples that are given here. There are two, like fish that are taken in evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. These two examples. There's a term called a fowler. Perhaps some of these English last names, Cooper, Chandler, Fowler. Fowler is someone who uh, is in the business of catching or, or hunting birds. So we have a friend whose last name is Fowler. That, that, this, is, this is what his family did, perhaps, back in their old home. And the Fowler knows about birds. They know their weaknesses. It, was it Birds don't have a sense of smell. Uh, but they have very good eyesight, typically. So things have to look right. So the fowler's bait then is apparently too enticing to the bird, and the result is that he is caught in the snare. That the fowler knows exactly how birds will respond, what their response will be when they are startled. We think about how Satan is like this fowler. That in First Timothy, uh, or Second Timothy rather, chapter two, that. Satan is the one who is the fowler, and God, by his grace, frees men from the snare of Satan. I think to an example of a friend of mine back in college, that he lived, we lived in a big house together, and he was so excited because he got a phone call that he won a free trip to Tahiti. Can you believe that? He won a free trip to Tahiti. And we asked him, did you give him your credit card number? He says, you bet you I did. (laughs) And we said, all right, you're not getting a free trip to Tahiti. (laughs) You're going to get a call from a credit card company. Right? And and so here, he was was elated. What are you talking about? I've got a free trip. I've never been to Tahiti. It's going to be great. The rest of us are saying, sorry, buddy, you're not going to Tahiti. And and so here, think about the various snares that come. And for some people, it seems so good. that That's that's part of Satan making the bait look so real, so tasty. It's like that free trip to Tahiti. Sometimes when things are 
too good to be true, they look too or sound too good to be true, it's because they are too good to be true. When we think about how not being able to control the time of death or downfall, we read earlier in Acts chapter 2 that it was in God's plan. The details of Jesus' life there in, in chapter 2, verses 23 And 24, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. There were wicked men that betrayed Jesus. The Jewish leaders were those who should have recognized who this man was. That he wasn't a mere man, that he is God. That that they should have said, This is the very one of whom we're told throughout the Old Testament scripture. Everything, everything was pointing ahead to him. And we will bow down and worship him. Because the true temple has come. That, think about the the promised one. That the promised son, Abraham, God God himself will provide a sacrifice. He will provide a sacrifice for us. Hey. The sacrifice has come. This is the seed in whom all the world will be blessed. And so Jesus was one who willingly submitted to the Father in this great plan. And this great plan, you also, I also, must submit to willingly, joyfully. And we're told, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Here we think about how Jesus could not be contained by death. Because death is judgment for sin. (coughs) Yet we're told Jesus is holy and without sin. Death could not contain him. And God is the one who has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Part of presumption is we think that there will always be another day, another time. When you talk to people, you know what? I'm in a busy season of my life. My career has just started. You know, some other time when things are a little more open, I'm going to dedicate my life to serving Jesus. Sorry, that time doesn't come. Well, you know what? It's been 10 years since we last talked. Hey, you know what? My, my kids are, are older now, and, and they're in all kinds of soccer and, and basketball and, and ballet and whatnot. And, you know, hey, I'm just too busy with all their, uh, I think, another time. And probably when I retire. <laughs> Retirement comes. Hey, it's going to be your boating, right? It's going to be your, uh, your, what is it, your summer or your, your, uh, your summer home or, or the, the cabin, whatever it is. Something will come to fill your life. You plan your life to have God as the focus sometime in the future, as Satan would say, that Satan's day is always tomorrow. God's day is today. Today is the day of salvation. And if you have not embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have not repented and turned from your sin, embrace Him today for eternal life and trust that He indeed is good, that He promises forgiveness for sinners that we forsake our sins and believe upon Jesus Christ that this is the good news of the gospel when Jesus said that that the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe upon him 
But these promises are sure. These promises are good. And that he, what he has given us, that we should not reject. That we should believe that his promises he will always fulfill. So this is the humility of wisdom. The second point, the treasure of wisdom, verses 13 to 18. <coughs> I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Here we have in these verses, 13 to 18, we have a description of a parable. Right? This is the, the poor wise man or the little city with few men in it. And that's verses 13 to 15. And then we have some uh, words of wisdom about the parable. Now, Derek Kidner, uh, commentator, he, it's very insightful. He says, but the parable is not a moral tale to show what people should do. It is a cautionary tale to show what they are like. So here, the parable is not, this is what you ought to do. The parable is, this is what people are like in response to wisdom. Uh, it's, not, it's, more, it's more concerned about uh, the response to wisdom, the re- response to the poor wise man, rather than uh, let's, let's do it in a certain way. So the parable is descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's likened to, often related to, that, that example in 2 Samuel chapter 20. Remember this story. There was someone who attempted to lead a revolt against David. Uh, Sheba, of son of Bikri. So this man attempted to lead a revolt. Uh, we have no share in the son of Jesse. Uh, every man to his tent. So he leads his revolt. <clears throat> and then he hides out in this city of Abel, Beth which has a, a wall. It's a walled city. And Joab, David's general, goes, uh, he went with his men, and they they bring siege works, so probably towers or battering rams, and they surround the city. And uh, this wise woman of Abel Bethmaka sees that, hey, they're going to starve us out, and every man, woman, and child will be killed. So she asks Joab, hey, who's in charge? Well, Joab is. He says, hey, what is it you want? As in, you're, you, bring, you bring siege works, right, to take our lives. Uh, what is it you want? We might be willing to give it up. And he says, hey, there's this guy. Uh, Sheba, son of Bikri, he's in your he's in your walled city. So she asks around, "Hey, listen, are we going to fight every man, woman, child for this man's life?" No. Okay. Well, uh, so she 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 tells the men there take off his head and throw it over the wall. And at which point Joab says, "Hey, I, I've got what I wanted." So he he takes off. And the woman is that poor wise woman. And so here we understand that. Uh, the value of wisdom. The value of wisdom. That this city was spared from certain death by a larger besieging army. So wisdom is better than strength, better than might, better than weapons of war. That oftentimes the best battle is the one that you don't have to fight. You think about the, the battle of temptation. Well, Satan... Well, he's strong, I'm stronger. No, don't, don't think that way, right? If, if you see temptation, you ought to flee, right? You ought not to try to fight, you ought to flee, if anything. 
this valley of wisdom, is that it guards from death and it preserves life. That this poor wise man delivered the city by his wisdom. He figured out what it was that, uh, that the, this strong king with all his men wanted. You think also about spiritual wisdom <clears throat> that God gives. That just as men don't value wisdom, so this, wise, this poor wise man uh, was not esteemed. He was forgotten. In fact, his wisdom was despised. Mm. And don't be surprised if the wisdom that you share, common things, are despised. Think about that story. Was it uh, a truck going through a tunnel and it gets stuck? And all these adults and highly intelligent people uh, are, are trying and coming up with these rather elaborate ideas of how to get this truck unstuck and they can't do it and this little kid walks up and says hey why don't you just let the air out of the tires of the truck and then you know you'll you'll get that few inches of, of height there and you can come out and that's what happened right but no one remembers that kid's name right what about all the people who spent loads of money trying to fix the problem and so also this is how life is think about the the description here the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. The limelight is on those rulers. The limelight are the people who, who have the media attention, the media's message. You think about how the good news of the gospel, it comes to us oftentimes quietly. It's not on the loudspeaker. It's not the one that necessarily has all the views on YouTube. Think for, for a moment about the story of Elijah. <clears throat> that he has this standoff with Jezebel. Uh, he has this standoff with the prophets of Baal. And he witnesses victory, but he flees from Jezebel. And then God speaks to him. God confronts him. And there was a wind that was breaking apart the stone. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. And God wasn't in any of those. And then there was a still, small, gentle blowing. And God oftentimes is not the one who speaks so loudly with the thunder, the lightning. Oftentimes, he's the one who is speaking quietly. And it's our God's people listening. Or are we waiting for the thunderclaps? Realize that wisdom is very elusive. It's not common among men. It doesn't create, it doesn't require sharp eyes to, to see the ocean. It doesn't require keen ears to hear the thunder. Expect that true wisdom will be rare and it won't be common. That the good news of the gospel oftentimes shared in quietness. God often meets us uh, not when we're on cloud nine when everything's going our way, but he meets us at rock bottom. Mm. And, and so understanding that pattern, understanding that pattern, you and I ought to have that wisdom. How, how is it that God often reaches people? It's not, it's not 
when they win that $100 million lottery, but rather it's years after, after all their friends are gone, after they're bankrupt, they've hit rock bottom. You and I witness these things. We ought to be mindful when people are in the dumps, so to say. It's not to say you can't witness to them when everything's going their way. Please do. But especially when things are bad, things are low, it is then that we understand this is often how God meets people. When we think, hey, you know what? Nothing in this person's life is going well. The last thing they want to hear is the gospel. That's Satan's reasoning. What we ought to say is nothing is going well. Nothing better can they hear than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so also this elusiveness of the, of the wisdom of the good news. Think about how the parable that Jesus gives. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Don't expect that the world will affirm and support your submission and your trust in Jesus Christ. Expect that it will come even as it says here in verse 16. The poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. They're not heeded. They're not respected. Expect that when you profess faith in Jesus Christ, there will not be a welcoming committee. There won't be a red carpet. There won't be Air Force One ready to receive you. But understand that when this life comes to an end, and you stand before God, having professed faith in Jesus Christ, having been true to your master even to the end, it is then when the royal reception, the eternal reception will come. That wisdom is superior to the treasures of this world. It's better than might. It's better than weapons of war. And so you and I ought to say, we cannot expect that spiritual wisdom, which is of greater than value than any kind of worldly wisdom, we cannot expect that all will say, well, that's the right way. That many will think that they have the right way. Proverbs says in the end it leads to death. But Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but through him. Pride oftentimes brings battles, verbal, physical, spiritual battles. But you realize that in wisdom, more often than not, is avoiding those battles. Wisdom is, is what, what leads us away from those battles so we don't have to fight them. Because the best battle is the one that is not fought, not have, having to be fought, so that there are uh, the scars of the... The word said, uh, the wounds suffered and the spiritual traps and the pitfalls and the downfalls. So wisdom is superior to those things. And God is the one who grants wisdom to his people. He is the one who opens the eyes of the blind so that you and I might treasure the good news of Jesus Christ. It's often 
during that time of testing that you and I are brought to see the importance, the value, the treasure that Jesus Christ is. It's only when we're left with those hard decisions in life that we see that Jesus is more valuable than anything that this life has to offer. Then we go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father, that you indeed are our treasure and our exceedingly great reward. Father, we pray that we would be those who trust in Jesus Christ, that we trust not in ourselves. And Father, we pray in thanking you that your plans are perfect, that your power is perfect. Father, we ask that you would grant us the eyes to see, the hearts to long for and treasure, the things that you have given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, that our treasure may not be here on earth, but that it might be stored up in heaven, where thieves do not steal and moths do not destroy. Father, we pray that you would help us to forsake the things of this world, that we would trust that maturity, godliness come not through the ease of life, but often through the difficult trials and the, the painful uh, chapters of life. Father, we pray that you would accompany us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us. We thank you, Father, for your love for us. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn in your hymnals.